Attention all mortals, veterans and civilians alike. It's time to buckle up and get ready for a wild ride because you just tuned in to the Swan Dingo Files. Your host, Steven Swanson, is here to help you navigate the crazy world of transitioning from military life to civilian life. And let me tell you, it's a bumpy road, but with a little bit of humor and a lot of determination, we can make it through together. And welcome back to another episode of the Swandingo Files. Today, I have Laverne Toombs. She is VP Director of at the American Heart Association in Louisiana. So, a very smart woman and a very special guest. I appreciate you coming on, Laverne. Well, thank you, um, Stephen. I appreciate the opportunity to be on. Um, and I thank you for the compliment. Sometimes I wonder if I am that smart. But uh, just thank God for his favor that he's bestowed upon me over the years. Well, you're clearly crushing it. So, you know, you've gone to a couple different universities. You have a very high title. So you clearly are a very successful woman. And I do like to hear uh, the story, how it led you had led you to getting to become successful, some of your past life and just anything you want to share um, and try to keep it somewhat light, too, if we can. Sure. No problem. Well, I started this journey uh, in the late 90s. I actually was thrown into a nonprofit organization where I had to learn how to raise money and write grants. And I never thought in my wildest dreams that many years later that I would actually be doing this for a living. And so I started out in a nonprofit sector, worked in that particular uh, industry for a while. And then in 2002, I uh, started out as a volunteer and worked on a campaign for United States Senator. I uh, started, I was a volunteer. They hired me to work on the campaign. It's a statewide um, campaign uh, in the United States Senate. Uh, this person um, was in her going into her second term. She won her race. Um, she hired me as her deputy regional manager, which allowed me the opportunity to oversee her office. And uh, with that office consists of 13 parishes that I was responsible for. Uh, the person who was the regional manager uh, at the time was um, applying, or should I say, in the process of going to law school. He then went on and I took his place. I became the regional manager. I stayed with the United States Senator for 13 years. Had the opportunity to travel all 64 parishes, which you all would call counties. I had the opportunity to staff some of the most powerful people in the world and meet some of those wonderful people. Uh, five, I think four or five setting presidents and first ladies. Um, met the most healthiest, most wealthiest person in the world, just to name a few. Um, unfortunately, in 2014, she ran for re-election for her fourth term um, and she lost. And so I'm now 55 years old. Uh, when I started with her, I was 41, 42. Um, and so I was wondering if somebody's gonna hire a 55 year old. Lo and behold, like two weeks after the uh, election was over, a parish president, which you all would call a mayor or, or a county administrator uh, over a population of about 55,000 uh, citizens asked me to take over a department, which I did for about six months. Then somebody resigned. She asked me to take over that department, which is uh, purchase and procurement, which I had no idea what that was all about. And then uh, she ran for re-election. She was running for re-election for her second term as parish president. 
she won that election and then she appointed me as her chief administrative officer, which I served in that capacity for four years, which means it was two women of color only in the state of Louisiana that uh, oversaw a parish. I did that for five years, um, or four years with a full five years. Um, and then um, while I was ending the term in the, the parish, um, a dear friend of mine called me and I always had these phone calls. It's quite interesting. All of this is phone calls. And um, said, hey, you know, there's a HBCU, Historical Black College, and needs your services. They wanted me to raise them a million dollars. But not only that, to raise them a million dollars, but also to help them with their accreditation. Uh, they, they were like $7 million in debt. They put together a team. Um, I was a part of that team. And I was there for one year, helped them raise about $700,000, revamped, and they were able to receive their accreditation. And they're doing a, just flourishing because of the teamwork and uh, everyone coming together to make that university uh, stay um, in existence. From there, I, um, again, I had made up my mind. I didn't want to work hard because I, I hadn't had a life in almost 18 years. Um, I had two phones and, you know, I was at the will of the people of the great state of Louisiana, which was a wonderful opportunity. And I enjoy having that servant heart, being able to serve people. I then uh, was a consultant for the New Orleans Regional Black Chamber of Commerce. I did that for about seven months. And I only did that for seven months because it was a lot of work and it was taking me back to what I said I didn't want to do. I was all about work-life balance. A friend of mine called me up and said, hey, there's a position that you may be interested in. It's something that you enjoy doing. You love raising money. Apply for it. So I did. And I um, was um, hired to be the VP of Development for the American Heart Association, primarily oversee several social type of events like Go Red for Women luncheon, heart walks, circle of red, and a heart ball. And again, our ultimate goal is to raise money and our goal is $1.2 million. So with that being said, I'm very much engaged in a lot of activities and other organizations. Uh, I will always be civic engaged and to those things that are very near and dear to me um, when it comes to people uh, and homelessness. Uh, hunger, uh, you know, women issues, children. Uh, those are things that are very near and dear to me because of my own life struggles in my younger years. So um, so that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I'm a mother of four wonderful adult children, two girls, two boys. I have five grandkids and, um, and, and they keep me uh, pretty busy. <laughs> so that's it. Excuse me. Sorry. Uh, let, so let me ask you this. Uh, being such a career-oriented woman and pur purpose-driven, because you clearly had, you know, a lot of goals you once set and you wanted a lot of, a lot of stuff you wanted to accomplish over time. Um, do you ever think that it affected your, you, your ability to be a mother? I, my career had nothing to do with uh, me being effective as a mother. I think what the challenge of me being a, a mother had to do with toxic situations in the early years of my life. Uh, I had no ex real example, even though my mother is my idol and my role model, but she raised me the best that she knew how. She raised me the way her grandmother, my grandmother raised her. And so because I did not have those particular type of skill, skill sets 
as well as I was so busy looking and searching for a void in my life, it prevented me from being an effective mother because I had a lot of issues and baggage that I didn't know what to do with that impacted me as being an effective parent. And, and I was just asking because the uh, only reason because I, I see myself working a lot way more than I want to. And I have six kids um, all range from 11 to two years old. So they're still young. Also living in my house. Also. All still taking all my money. So but I just want because I, I always feel myself getting pulled away to work or something else. And it's just. I always worry, like, am I getting giving them enough attention, um, guiding them the way I need to? But, and that's all I was wondering, because you, you've done a lot in your life um, in a short amount of time. And I, that's what all I was wondering, is if it in any way impacted your ability to be a parent, I guess, not just a mother, just a parent in general. Well, I think one of the things, too, is that I didn't understand about priorities and being able to manage my time. You know, it really is about priority. And at the end of the day, one of the greatest lessons that I've learned in my older life um, is the fact that family, you'll have always, you know, we, we run behind that dollar, right? We're so committed behind the, the dollar that we forget about the people who really mean so much to us. And so, you know, we can still have the dollar right? But we always got to understand that those kids, they grow up really fast. You know, when yes, I think about my kids, you know, my oldest is 41 years old and she has a 21 year old son. Um, and we have to work, right? But at the end of the day, it's all about priority. And if that means that you have to designate a day to say, this is the time that I'm going to spend with my children, that means a lot to those kids. And I can tell you from my own experience, um, you know, when my children's father and I divorced, I had the girls and he had the boys. Um, there's a real void in my boy's life because their mother wasn't there. And there's also a void in my daughter's life uh, because their father wasn't there. Um, and so it's kind of like, damn, if you do, damn, if you don't, because you don't want to stay in a situation that's toxic and then it has a, another type of impact on your kids, right? So you have to make a decision. But to go back to your original question, I think it's all about prioritizing. And family is all we have. And I'm telling you, you know, pay now or pay later. That's that's the way I see it. And I, I'm speaking from, from experience. Yeah, I, I love the fact that you brought up the void in your daughter's life due to not being the father enough, son, because not being the mother enough. I didn't grow up with my mother and there is definitely a void. Um, but I saw how my father treated other women and I always vowed not to treat my wife that way. I've been with my wife 13 years now. Even after 13 years, we still can't be separated, um, which is rare for 13 years and six kids. Um, but I can definitely see there's some stuff I'm missing due to not having a, mo a mother figure around. And it's, it's good to hear that, like, you know, from somebody else too. So, cause I think that's an issue that people need to really focus on is two parent households. And, you know, at least if you can't make it work inside the house, at least try to co-parent the best you can and for the kids sake. So that we each are in each other's lives. 
So, because a man, I mean, there's still stuff that you miss as a girl and as a son if you don't have both parents in there. <laughs> yeah, I was destined for two-parent household. But at the end of the day, um, your kids become adults. You know, they may have, have some resentment when they're younger and they grow up with that resentment because they don't know the story, right? They just, they just know that you weren't there and you're just nothing more than a sperm carrier. However, when they become an adult and they begin to face some of the same issues that you were faced with, then you have to make a decision in regards to what I do. I stay in the situation for my kids or do I go and still try to figure out how I can be a co-parent? And of course, you know, when I did this with my children's father, it was in the 90s and we didn't know nothing about no co-parenting. However, though, we did make a, a, a pact between the two of us is that we weren't going to allow the children to play us, play against one against the other. Now, I don't know where I had the sense of the wherewithal to understand that, but that I remember telling him that, that we, if I say no, I need you to say no. If you say no, I'm going to say no. Even if I may disagree with him, I'm still going to say no, because I I'm not going to allow the children to play one against the other. And it worked out very well. And he came, he agreed with that. And to this day, we we uh, we do that. The other thing that I did not do, and again, I don't know where I got this wisdom from. Obviously, God must have put it inside of me because I it, it wasn't taught. I did never, to this day, will never speak negative about my children's father. Okay, never. Even and they know now that they're adults, their father back then. Now, he's not like that today, but he was something else back then, right? Um, but even with him being something else back then, I always find a way. And even they say, oh, mama, you always taking up for him. I said, no, I'm not taking up for him. I'm just speaking the facts. It's the fact that, yes, that's the type of person he was back then, but he's not like that now, right? And he's remarried. His wife, who he has been married to almost, I think, almost 20 years, would never have never faced what I faced, okay, when I was married to him. So those are two things that, and the third thing is that I didn't force him to pay child support. Now, you know, again, that's, you know, everybody has their choice on how they want to go about doing that. But I made that decision because I knew that he was going to remarry and I didn't want to take resources away from his family. So I just had to struggle, right? But then child support didn't, speak ill against him under no circumstances or in the fact that we were always on the same page and not allow the children to play us. You on mute. Sorry about that. I don't know how that even happened. Um, I know where you got to wear all to come up with those things that you are, I mean, you're a smart woman and you're ed very highly educated. So uh, you think outside the box clearly so but let me ask you um what made you go to grambling state university over um you know hbcu over any uh i guess a traditional four-year university well grambling state university is a four-year institution yeah. um and actually i was introduced to college life i i i was raised in a very rural community um college was not something that my mother 
even talked about because she didn't have, she only went through a third grade education and she felt that the greatest accomplishment that I had is that I graduated from high school. So she was happy. Uh, she came from a generation where people didn't seek education because that was not part of her environment or the environment that she was surrounded by. So, you know, when you graduate from high school, you're 18 years old, you need to get married and start having children. That was her whole concept, right? Um, but I knew that it was more to that. Um, and I knew it was more to that by looking at other people and the fact that I wanted to go to college because I, I wanted to go to college for several reasons. One, to get out of the house. And not only that, but I, I had a vision. You know, I had a vision about what I wanted to be uh, what I wanted to do with my life, even though I was voted from my high school peers that I would be the one most likely not to succeed. Um, oh, yeah. So I went to Grayland State University. I was there for one semester. Um, and, and the reason for it is I got married. <laughs> I got married when I was very young. I got married at 18. And, um, and I, but I did not allow me, you know, getting married for me to not pursue the things that I wanted to pursue. Um, so when I dropped out of Grandland, I went to Louisiana State University of Shreveport. And actually I was going to two different universities at the same time, which is crazy. So I was going to LSU, which I didn't, uh, LSU Shreveport. And I was also going to Centenary College as well and working a full-time job and married. So I have no idea how I was able to do that. But when you're young, you do that kind of stuff, right? Um, because I had a vision. Now, even though I had a vision, um, and I tell people all the time, even young people, you know, you have this vision of what you want in life, but life has a tendency to kind of dim that vision. And then in some cases, black it out, where you don't think that that vision will ever come to life. You have people that speak death in your life. I had someone tell me that I wouldn't pass the bar exam. I wanted to be a lawyer and I wanted to go to law school. And I had a judge tell me you would never, at the time he was an attorney, he then became a judge and then wound up going to prison. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, okay. yeah. So, you know, those type of things. So I, I, it's amazing when I look at my life uh, of how, uh, this journey has been quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, you do definitely got an interesting story and everything, uh, background. You got, I mean, what what town did you actually grow up in? Was it Homer? Yes, it was Homer, H-O-M-E-R. And I spell it oh, because there is a Homa in South oh, Louisiana. Oh, I know, I know, I know where Homer's at. I've been there, well, I've been through mm -hmm. it. I don't think I really mm -hmm. stopped, so, mm -hmm. um, yeah. but I know I've been, I lived in Louisiana for a little bit. I went through, and it seemed like one thing. Um, I'm still kind of new to the South. I live in Texas now. I'm still kind of new to the South. But I've never been to Louisiana. One thing I love about Louisiana is, like, I was in Leesville, Louisiana, by Fort Polk. Oh, yeah. Well, I was stationed scary. at Fort Polk. <laughs> yeah. yeah hence, the back, mm. hence the background. Um, or my background, sorry. Uh, but it seemed like the further south I went, it's like the less and less that could speak English. And it's like, this guy came up to try to talk to me while, I'm, while I was on my motorcycle filling it up. And it's like, what? I don't even understand you. It's so, I don't know, what is it? What, is it, what do they call that language down there? Well, they have the, you know, Creole, they have the Cajuns. Cajuns has that French, broken French type of um, language. And it is somewhat very difficult to understand them. Um, and it's interesting because 
that's in what we call in central Louisiana. Louisiana is divided up three parts. Oh, um, and in North Louisiana, where I'm from, Homer, Shreveport, Monroe, um, Central Louisiana actually starts right in Alexandria. Um, mm -hmm. So Alexandria is kind of like between north and, and the southern part of the state. And then um, Lafayette, Lafayette area, that's Cajun country. Um, and then even like in Leesville, for instance, um, Leesville can be considered somewhat central Louisiana, Brobridge, those areas like that. And then you in South Louisiana, uh, which is New Orleans area, but then you have those real other Cajun people that live like in Lafouche Parish, uh, Morgan City, their French is real, real strong. Uh, yeah, so it's interesting. Our state is really interesting. It's a very interesting state with, as we say, it's a mixture of gumbo. It's just a pot of gumbo. It just have a interesting culture. I never heard that analogy before. Uh pot of gumbo and I love gumbo I ain't gonna lie but only from Louisiana so <laughs> sorry people up north don't they try they can't do it so um out of all the hats you've worn um what which hat was your favorite one in your career uh working for the United States Senate and um, it was a lot I mean interesting enough you know Ours, our office in New Orleans was considered like the flagship. And the reason for it is because of one, the Senator family lived here in New Orleans. So we, our office saw her more than anybody, number one. Number two is that we were an office that was faced with all sorts of disasters. We had uh, Hurricane Katrina, Gustav, I, we had the major oil spill. We had another hurricane, uh, major, another ice storm. Um, so we were always um, on top of this, always being faced with major catastrophic disasters. And, uh, and so our office really helped with policies and procedures that people are being benefit from today, from SBA, FEMA, um, so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, uh, my, my 13 years were just awesome. So, yeah, that was that was. That was an experience. I never in my wildest dreams thought I would ever, you know, work in that capacity. Uh, at, you know, at my 13 years, I had a chance to go to the White House and meet some very interesting people. Um, so, yeah, I was sitting So do your kids kind of take after take after you or how, how well are they behave compared to are successful compared to you? <laughs> I have some very um, interesting children, okay? And I say that in a positive way. So my oldest daughter uh, actually started out, she wanted to be a dentist, but she wound up being a professional mixologist uh, in Houston, Texas. And she did that for a number of years. And interesting enough, I had no idea how much money bartenders make. And of course, you know, they don't, she don't, she does not, her title is not bartender. Her title is a mixologist because mm -hmm. that's what she does and she does it well. And she became very known in Houston, no matter where she would go, her customers would follow her. But now she works for HGTV. And the reason she works for HGTV is because of my second child, uh, her and her husband had two shows on HGTV. 
And so now they're considered uh, HGTV stars. Um, and, uh, and then she went on after her two shows to become the interior design producer for HGTV. However, um, she's been, saw her and her husband are being sought out uh, to do a, a project. Uh, hopefully it will be announced very soon. And I'm really excited about it. My son, who was a uh, awesome baseball player, but um, uh, unfortunately different circumstances preventing him from going to the pros. He was really up for the draft at a very young age. But, um, you know, his, his not only the, you know, his dream was to be a professional baseball player, but um, his other dream was to be a husband and a good husband and a father to his children. So, and that he is the best father that you can, I, I can't even begin to tell you what an awesome father he is. He has a 10 year old who's soon to be 11 next week and he has a newborn. So uh, he's married and has a beautiful wife and someone has been with since they were in junior high school. Oh, wow. Uh, my youngest son, uh, who is quite ambitious, a hard worker, uh, owned his first home at the age of 27, um, you know, got into, involved in real estate, um, and he did that and did that very well. Uh, now he works for, I think, um, a major CN, which is Canadian, uh, some major railroad company, uh, he was a safety engineer, and uh, and so he's doing that. And again, you know, he's always an entrepreneur, so he's always trying to figure out his new hustle. And uh, so, yeah, so they're they're very innovative. Um, they all are different. I think my second child, Mary, um, we sound alike, exactly alike. Uh, it's funny when people will watch her watch her on the show. Um, they would hear hear her voice and they would think that was me <laughs> and uh and we um and we act a lot alike uh, oh. oh sorry uh what, what's the daughter looks like me what's the her show called her first show is going for soul okay. that's the first show and the second show is two steps home two steps Mm -hmm. oh, two steps home. Okay, I have to remember you can that. Find, you can you can look them up, and they're on the Discovery Channel. Yeah, I just wanna I just wanna see it. Uh, just mm -hmm. see it. Just see if there's any resemblance. So mm -hmm. yeah, there is. <laughs> so it <laughs> seems like success breeds success. So your kids seem like they're very ambitious, go getting, and career oriented, career oriented, and successful up to this point. Mm -hmm. And I wish them even more success. So, yeah, me too. You know, I, I'm proud of my kids. And, you know, at the end of the day, even though as, as parents, um, you know, our kids learn a lot and they, and they see us and they say to themselves, I don't want to do that when I grow up. Um, and so there are certain things in regards to my daughters in my life where they say, you know, I don't want to do that when I grow up. Um, it's not a bad thing, but then on the other hand, they learn a valuable lesson from the things that they saw me, you know, that they witnessed and they didn't want to have to go through that themselves. So, uh, I, I'm very proud of all four of them. Yeah. Um, after seeing my father and everything he did and everything like that, I, I've made a conscious effort and my mother, um, not to be like them at all. Um, they were never married to nothing, you know. 
long story short, that's just broken household. So it's, I've always made the conscious effort to be a better father and be a better husband than what they ever were, what those two ever were. So, but, um, so since you live in Louisiana and I love Louisiana, it's my favorite state, even though I live in Texas now, um, we will be back in New Orleans at some point. I promise you. Um, what's your favorite part of New Orleans to visit for future reference? So we know me and the wife. Oh, <laughs> well, I always tell people to not go where the tourists go because, you know, everybody wants to go to the French Quarter. And that's okay. I mean, if that's, you want to go to the French Quarter, uh, fine. But locals, you know, if you want to hang out with the locals, and I know when I travel, I always go where the locals go. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to go where, you know, uh, tourist attractions unless mm. it's something that's historic now that's me but you know Frenchman Street um, I enjoy Frenchman Street it has great restaurants they have live music and that's where the locals go um, it's kind of like the French Quarter but it's more it uh, doesn't have all that um, uh, type of certain type of behavior if you will um, it's, it's very family oriented even if you want to take your kid mm -hmm. Uh, to Frenchman Street. Some of my favorite restaurants, um, of course, is uh, Peche, P-E-C-H-E. It's very different. Um, it's very good. That's one of, it is probably one of my favorites. Um, I always tell people, you know, get on the streetcar and go down St. Charles Avenue and look at those beautiful homes. Um, go down Canal been, Street and Canal Been Hall. down there. Mm -hmm. uh, and oh museum. my God, those yeah, are gorgeous. Right, go to the museum. And then if you want to, you know, like a, a cultural experience, you may mm -hmm. want to check out Treme, which is the oldest uh, free people of color uh, colony in the world. Um, and so, you know, go to Treme and understand the history, Congo Square, um, because New Orleans has a lot of history, right? They have a wonderful African-American museum there in the Treme. Um, and so, again, you know, just not add, they also have the Hispanic component of, of New Orleans and the um, uh, Asian American or Vietnamese uh, community. So again, you wanna have a, a complete experience. Um, also, if you wanna go outside of New Orleans, I highly recommend that you go to a little parish called St. John the Baptist Parish, where I was the CAO of, but it has a treasure there, which is called Whitney Plantation. Now, I'm not a big fan of plantations. However, I am a fan of this one. And the reason for it is because it really tells you the story about people of color enslavement. So, um, and, and it's in depth. It's very good. And, um, and so I highly recommend that. And then, you know, maybe get on the riverboat, go down the uh, Mississippi River. Uh, that's an awesome experience. And I tell people, if you don't have any money, get on the... Um, what they call it, the, uh, oh God, uh, you know what I'm talking about. When you, you put your cars on and you got, got oh, enough. Uh, a, fa a ferry. Ferry, ferry, I'm yep. sorry, thank you. Uh, a ferry, but it, it kind of gives you somewhat of the same experience, uh, somewhat, a short ride. But if you're on a boat, it's a different type of experience. Yeah. But again, New Orleans has a lot of, um, just a lot, you know, especially it's known for its cuisine. Um, so everybody <laughs> loves the food. 
Uh, yes. My son, my oldest son, and his friend was here last weekend, and and uh, you know my my oldest son is not a big fan of New Orleans, uh, I guess because he got a bad taste in his mouth from people who came to Houston after Katrina. So he's still gradually getting into it. But when he comes, he always want to go and find a, a great place to eat. Um, and so you know, I just give them a list and recommend recommendations. But uh, yeah, this is a wonderful city, no matter what the media may paint it to be, you know, crime written and all this foolishness. We're no different than any other metropolitan city. No, I, I went to New Orleans and we had a blast into the aquarium. Still the best aquarium to date in New Orleans. Um, I have to agree with you. <laughs> yes. And I'm not uh, being biased, but it is. I agree. Oh, no, oh, no, I know you traveled and I know you've seen a lot and the fact that even you say that is puts a little more weight behind it. Um, but I just, the, the people down there, I grew up in the North in Illinois. Um, you don't talk to your neighbors really much at all, unless you're in, from a small town. Uh, but I mean, it's people are just rude and they're just not nice people come down to the South and random people just walk up to you, talk to you. Um, they just, they'll open a door for you. They're kind. They don't care about really anything. Just, hey, just chat, have fun. And I just fell in love with the culture. And I, we wanted to move to Louisiana, but I don't know why we settled in Texas. I don't know. Uh, maybe one day. But I just, it, it's such a nice place. And I I do want to get away from New Orleans. I do like the history of New Orleans and all that stuff. Um I do like seeing some of the African-American history of that place. Just uh, I have something to show the kids, too, just to see, you know, our history of America, even though it was a stain, it's still part of our history. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, my, my wife is Native American, so they've learned a little bit about their history. Right. Which only, they're only half. Mm -hmm. So, um, but still, it's a part of their history. So, but Correct. I mean, it's just, it's also fascinating. And I can't. Yeah, yes, very you, much so. You're making me want to just get up and go right now. <laughs> well, we have a, like I said, um, I tell people don't just stay in New Orleans. There's much more to New yeah. Orleans. Um, we have, for instance, Natchitoches, Louisiana, which is in North Louisiana. I've been uh, there. The oldest town in the state of Louisiana uh, has great culture, great history. Um, you know, I can go in Grand Isle, believe it or not, Grand Isle runs right along the Gulf of Mexico. It takes you three hours, three and a half hours to get there. Uh, it's in Jefferson Parish, which is right, um, uh, I would say less than a two-minute two ride from, from where I live. However, Jefferson Parish is the largest parish in the state of Louisiana, and Grand Isle uh, is a place that I used to go often for vacations in the Gulf of Mexico. It's right there. People would have their little um, there are houses there, what we call camps, and uh, it's it's just great. So it's, it has a lot to offer. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, New Orleans definitely has a whole different culture to offer, and I do suggest anybody and everybody get down there if you haven't been and at least spend a week. You can't take it all in in a weekend. You just can't. You, no. got, you really can't even in a week, but, I mean, at least a week will give you a good chunk of it. Right, um, right. So one last question, what is next for you? You're very energetic and outgoing. What's next for you now? Well, I thank you for that. 
uh, question. Um, there's three things, and I've been praying and talking to God about this. So I'm gonna continue to put it out there in the universe because I, I believe that you know when we speak, you know that it that it comes back right, good or bad. So one is that uh, my goal is to be a professional storyteller. Uh, as you know, I did a TED Talk and I did a She Talk not too long ago. And then um, secondly, uh, I am in the process of writing a book and I'm praying to God that it be a New York Times bestseller. So I'm speaking that in existence. And then uh, thirdly, I tell people all the time and I'll ask myself, Laverne, are you delusional? Uh, but I, everything that I do um, is all about a story to benefit and empower people. And so my third one is to be a supermodel. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, those are the three things. Those are the three things that I, I have put out there in the universe. But, um, but to go back to your question, um, to have more speaking engagements, right? Like this, an opportunity to talk about a particular subject matter, about my life, whatever the case may be. And, uh, you know, finish this book. And so that I can um, share my stories and hope that it get in the hands of women who have gone, who are going through, I've gone through what I've went through in the early years of my life, uh, even all the way up to, to now. Um, and, um, and just, you know, serve people, serve and raise money for worthy organizations, not just for the American Heart Association, even though I'm compensated for that but as well as organization that impacts women and children so that they can have a better life. So that's, that's it for me, you know, enjoy my grandkids, spend more time with my children and live my life to the absolute fullest. You yes. are definitely, you are definitely doing that and you're a very noble person. And uh, I, I love sitting here talking to you. Um, how do, uh, how, how can somebody get a hold of you? if they want to follow you or anything. Yeah, they can follow me on my Facebook, Instagram. I post um, quite often. Um, and so um, I'm looking, I just did my webpage. And so um, one of my colleagues, I don't know if you know Ira. Do you know Ira Bowman? Oh, I, I've heard the name. Yeah, I don't, I don't know yeah. him, but I've heard the name. Yep. So Ira um, is going to be looking at my website. So I have that up going in the next 30 days, hopefully. Um, and then I'm going to start um, doing some, some other stuff. I was thinking today, how can I become more visible rather than, than the socialite, okay? Or people want, okay, well, what is Laverne going to wear? Or let's see what Laverne is going to wear at this event, which is great. And I got to try to wrap my arms or hands around how I can market that where people will want my services when it comes down to those types of things. So, yeah. Oh. oh, well, you have a lot of goals and a lot of aspirations and for, and don't take it the wrong way, somebody of your age, sorry, I know, that's okay. I mention, but you still have so much more to go and that's just, that's, that's very inspirational Um, to, and should be inspirational to anybody and you definitely need to get the story out there and I'm really looking forward to hopefully talking to you again someday. Sure. Um, but this is going to wrap up this episode of the Swandingo Files with Laverne.
probably going to see her as president of the United States someday. So, <laughs> no, you will not. <laughs> she says that. But I'll work for the president of the United States, but I will not be president of the United States. <laughs> all right, right here, right now, I'm calling BS on that because she's going to be too big of a person to oh my God. sit Thank back you and wait. I appreciate yeah. you. <laughs> so, but that's it for today. Everybody have a good time and I'll speak to you later. Well, folks, that's all we have for today's episode of the Swandingo Files. I hope you've enjoyed this journey with your host, Stephen Swanson, as much as he enjoys recording it. Remember, transitioning from military life to civilian life is tough. But with a little bit of grit, a dash of humor, and a lot of determination, you can overcome any obstacle. So until next time, keep on trucking and keep Swandingoing.